0: Amen. Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Welcome today. Everybody connecting with us online, uh, we welcome you as well. Uh, Churches, either this past Sunday or this Sunday, are celebrating Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And sometimes when you say you're pro life, people get the wrong idea of what that means. And not everybody approaches it the same way. But when I say I'm a pro life pastor, what I mean is, is I value all life. I try to value all life the way God does. And I believe, according to those scriptures that we just heard, that God values life in the womb. And I want us to value that life. I also want us to value the lives of the men and women who are faced with crisis situations, who are trying to make such difficult decisions and are hearing such different uh, information and guidance from different groups or or different people. I want us to love on them and provide for them the opportunity to feel like they can honestly choose life and it would be a blessing for them and for the baby and for others. So let's pray together as God's people right now. Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to remind ourselves of how much you value life, all lives. You value our lives so much that you sent your son Jesus here to die for us on the cross. That's how valuable every life is to you. And Father, that means both for the babies in the womb and outside the womb. It means for the women and the men who are facing hard, hard decisions about what to do when there is a crisis pregnancy involved. May we show them how much you love them and value them. The baby, the women, the men, everybody. May we be people who allow your love to be seen and felt through us. It's I prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We are uh, excited to continue our message series today uh, about best boss ever. Uh, In this series, we've had the joy of looking at how Jesus uh, has shown himself to be worthy of that position of Lord and Savior, the ruler over us. You could use the term boss. He's qualified Uh, above all others, to be our boss. And if we've just said that we've made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, then what we're saying is we're willing to come under him and allow him to be our boss. So we started this series with the message, The Boss of Me. Then we looked at how If he's the boss of us, then we can break it down to different parts of our lives and see how he needs to rule or be the boss of those areas of our lives. We looked at how he needs to be the boss of our our attitudes, right? Uh, Obviously, we need to have the attitude of Christ if we represent him in the world. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at another aspect of being a boss, and it's the boss of our priorities. Uh, You may remember the story. There was a lawyer who got a a brand new, very, very expensive sports car. It's the first one he had ever owned. And he wanted to show it off to his buddies at work. So he hopped in it, drove down to the building where their offices were. He saw some of his colleagues out front. So he, he pulled over to the side of the busy road right there so he could show them the car. He threw open the door. And about that time, a great big truck came flying by and just tore the door off of the car. He was just fuming. He he was so mad. He was so upset about it. He was just sitting there just saying, oh no, I know that no matter how good a body shop I take it to, this car will never be the same again. It's brand new. About that time he saw a police officer. So he got out of the car and he ran over to a police officer and he said, officer, a guy came by just driving recklessly. And he, he just tore the door off my car, just totally wrecked it. And the police officer looked at him and he said, you're a lawyer, aren't you? He said, well, I am, but what's that got to do with my car? He said, well, you lawyers, you're all so materialistic. All you care about is your stuff. He said, well, I kind of resent that remark. He says, well, did you notice that when the door was ripped off, your left arm was ripped off too? <laughs> he looked down and he said, oh, no, my Rolex. <laughs> it's pretty easy to get your priorities mixed up, isn't it? Especially in the culture we live in here in America, but it can happen anywhere with anybody. We we live in a culture that that and every human being has lived on this earth in the flesh in a culture that that tends to get things out of order when it comes to priorities. And, and what we're gonna be talking about today is an example that we can learn from of how to get our priorities straight. If you've got your Bibles, be turning to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at Jesus' account, the account Luke gives us of Jesus visiting with uh, some sisters that he was friends with uh, who lived in the same home together along with their brother. And, and, And the encounter that happens there teaches us something about the priorities that we want to have. It's found in Luke chapter 10. You have your Bibles or pull it up on your smartphone or tablet there. We'll begin with verse 38. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This story is something that could be told today, I'm sure, if Jesus were on the earth and he were to come to somebody's home to visit. Can you imagine how uh, some of you have, have this personality where if you know company's coming, Everything has to be cleaned and spotless and put in place. And the worst thing that could happen is somebody to show up unexpectedly. You don't have it already and you're so embarrassed. Some people, that's just their personality type. It's not mine. But some people have that personality where they think everything has to be perfect. And in this encounter, Martha is that person. It has that personality that is just so worried and concerned about all the preparations that needed to be done because Jesus was there to visit that day. She lives in the house with her sister. And we also learned that they have a brother named Lazarus. We we hear more about him uh, in the other biblical accounts as well. Spectacular things that happened with his life. So here we've got this this home. And it was probably, uh, as far as we can tell, a, a pretty nice home. The family seems to have uh, they're not probably wealthy, wealthy, but they probably do pretty well. They probably have all their basic needs met and more, and, and so they have the ability to make things pretty nice for Jesus' visit. And in this exchange between the sisters and Jesus, we find four priorities we can learn that need to be critically important to us. That would be great for us as Christ followers if Jesus is going to be our boss then these are four priorities we need to get right in our lives to represent him well, okay? Priority number one is this. We should make it a priority to welcome Jesus into our homes. That should be a priority for us. To make our home a place where Jesus is welcome there. And and we all probably think, well, well, yeah, we, we would welcome Jesus at our home. But if he were literally actually going to show up this afternoon after church, would you rush out of here to do some things real quick before he got there? Would there be some books or magazines you would put away? Would there be something on the television you would turn off? Would there be some things on the wall that you might not want him to see? Would there be a mess you wouldn't want him to see? You know, all those things. Think through every single thing. Would you feel comfortable right now with Jesus coming to your home? Some of you say, yeah, everything would be great. No problem at all. But think about the impression you would make on Jesus. More than that, if a stranger visited your home today, would there be anything in your home that they would just be aware of by being there that makes them know Jesus is welcome in your home? Would there be anything at all that would indicate to them that Jesus is welcome there? Jesus wants to be the boss in your home. Uh, we, we sometimes so segmentize our lives that we think of, like we've talked about before, going to church and then leaving church or, or have our devotion time and then we close off our Bible and then we go on with the rest of our lives, right? Like it's not all connected. It's not all interrelated to each other. But if Jesus is the boss of your home, it means all the activity in the home. It means everything that goes on in the home. And we want Jesus, I think, and we wouldn't be part of his church family, I don't think, if we didn't want him to also be boss at our home. So we can't segmentize that out. We can't can't section it out as a whole different area now. It has to be all of life, including what happens in our homes, needs to be a place then, needs to be activity, needs to be things that are going on that we would feel like Jesus is welcome, and we believe Jesus would feel welcome there. In Revelation 3, in verse 20, there's a verse that has been taken out of context so many times, Uh, almost all the time. This verse is pulled out of context. Here's what it says. Jesus is speaking. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You just pull that verse out of context and it sounds like he's saying to the lost sinner, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. And if you just let me in your heart, I'll come in to your heart. The problem is he's not speaking to the lost sinners in that verse. He's speaking to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3. He's speaking to people who are already identified with him as Christ followers. And he's saying to them, I'm standing at the door of your heart, knocking, asking you to let me come in. And dwell there. You see, the home—it represents the core of your life, right? The, the idea of the home. Now, you may—you can have a different kind of house or apartment. It doesn't matter. It's your home, and—and and the home is kind of the central place where the activities go out from there for your whole lives. And—and and, and if we can start there, making Jesus welcome there, making Him the boss there, then that permeates the other things that we go out and do in and outside the home. So it begins with that core beginning place of the activities. Now, home could also be symbolic of that's where our heart is, right? And and, and if our hearts allow Jesus to rule there, if we allow him to rule in our hearts, then that will be in the home. That will be the core of what happens there and outside of there that we go out and do in the rest of our lives. So if Jesus is speaking to those who are already Christ followers, when he says, I stand at the door and knock, he's indicating that some people could be wearing the name of Jesus, belonging to his church, and still not have him ruling in their hearts. Like he should. And he's asking for the opportunity to do that. To the home life and the outside the home life. He wants to be the boss there. And that doesn't mean he expects perfection. I mean, I'm one of those people that uh, if the bed's not made up, I'm okay with that. And if somebody happens to see that, I'm okay with that too. I'm going to get back in it, you know, later. But some people, that's a big deal. I know, I'm not knocking either one of those approaches. What I'm saying is this. Sometimes we could get so worried about the stuff that the world would consider so important but sometimes in doing that, we're also neglecting the things that are more important. If you think making up the bed's important, great, make up the bed. But don't neglect the things that are more important than that. Don't neglect the things that matter more than whether or not your bed was made up or not, or all the dishes were washed or not, or whatever other thing that's your pet peeve, right? Whatever the thing is for you. Don't let those things, even if you make them a priority, a priority that causes you to neglect having Jesus rule in that home and in your heart. In Deuteronomy 6, the Israelites are going in to inherit the land that God had promised them. And he's giving them instructions about how to live and act and function in the new land so they could represent him well and so they could be blessed in that new land. And in Deuteronomy 6, in verse 6, it says this about the commands that he's giving them. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when? When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's he saying? Permeate your home life and all of your life with God's word, with God's teaching. Make sure it's everywhere all the time don't think you only do that on Sundays at church don't think you only do that with the life group when you go there during the week or whatever your life group may. don't think it's in just little parts of your life let it permeate the whole deal there's so many ways to do this in the home now when I was growing up I had great parents and I'm not trying to, to say anything bad about them at all and I, and I lived in a great community and our home life uh, for the most part was okay but but we didn't really grow up with the word of God in our home or any, any honoring of, of reading the word or doing devotions together. We didn't have any of that in our home when I was growing up. I wasn't really raised in church. And, and so I didn't have that as an example or as an experience that I went through growing up. And so when I got married, and and Sue Ann and I brought kids into the world, we were still very young, and she had grown up just the opposite. Her dad was a pastor, and and her mom and her dad were very much into the Word regularly, and she was into the Word regularly, and it was very much a part of their home life all the time. And I just, I didn't even know how to go about doing it, really. Even though I went to Bible college now, I was in college, and when we had our first child, and learning to be a pastor and all of that, I, I had not had that experience, and and I just want to thank Sue Ann. She took the initiative to make sure in the mornings there was a devotion time with our kids and, and there was the, the prayer time at night. She, she really was training me like she was the kids to, to have that as a part of your home life too. Now I got better at it as I had more experience with her doing that, but, but not everybody just naturally has that. So you have to make the decision. You have to make the choice. Is that what your home's going to be? Is that who you're going to be at home? With kids, without kids, it doesn't matter. Is that going to be the home life for you? Because it's supposed to permeate that part of your life too. The priority should be that He is the Lord or the boss of your home. So we need to welcome Jesus into our home. Uh, one reason I know that, that Mary and Martha did a good job with this is later on in. In their encounters with Jesus, they had a brother, remember, named Lazarus. And Lazarus got really, really sick. And Jesus wasn't there when Lazarus got sick. He was off doing ministry in other towns. And in John 11, in verse 1, it says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So she really had a heart for Jesus, right? Right. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And that tells me a couple of things. It tells me, first of all, Lazarus loved Jesus and welcomed Jesus into his home and into his heart, too, because they had a great relationship, Jesus and Lazarus did. But here's what it also tells me. These sisters had had Jesus into their home, and he was so much a part of being in their hearts That when they faced a crisis, it wasn't like, oh, no, what do we do? Who can we turn to? They knew right away, let's call Jesus. And they felt comfortable doing it, calling on Jesus. In fact, they felt comfortable when Jesus didn't come when they wanted him to and Lazarus ended up dying. They felt comfortable expressing their disappointment to Jesus. You don't do that if you don't have a relationship already established with someone. You don't have that comfort level you haven't already had a relationship that allowed you to be that comfortable with them now we know Lazarus was raised from the dead Jesus did a great work there he, he did come and rescue Lazarus and all that but but look at the relationship they had where they were very comfortable calling on Jesus now the reason I bring that up is this is if you haven't had that relationship with Jesus already it's not a part of your life yet like I had growing up right I didn't have that then when you do face hard times or crisis, it's very awkward then to all of a sudden act like you've got a relationship with Jesus and with Jesus people. You see, as a pastor, I deal with that all the time. I'll have people call me up and say, Pastor, can you do a wedding for us? We want to have a wedding at the church. They haven't been in church ever. But for their wedding, they want to have it in the church, right? As if relationship's been good all along, right? they have somebody die in their family and they say pastor could you do the funeral for us the person didn't make a commitment to the Lord the the family wasn't part of church and on any regular basis at all but now for that crisis they're facing we want God to help us now right but we haven't had a relationship with him the whole time it's awkward to try to create it out of nothing when you need it the most now I want to caution you I'm not saying you shouldn't call on Jesus then You shouldn't call on the church or the pastor then. That's not the point of what I'm saying. I'm saying it's so much better if you already had that. Already in place. Before those things happen. Because then it's so comfortable and so easy to know where to go and who to turn to. It's just a natural part of who you are. And you can get comforted more quickly and more easily because you already had that relationship in place with him so if it's not there yet the best thing to do is not say oh no I don't have it so I shouldn't call the best thing to do is to start developing the relationship now wherever you are in your life whatever's going on whatever you're doing get that relationship in order now because in this world what are you gonna have you're gonna have some trouble you're gonna have some crisis you're gonna have some challenges and you're gonna want to have that in place already when they come. Well, priority number one, welcome Jesus into your home. But Mary also recognized the significance of the moment. So priority number two, carpe diem. That means what? Seize the day, right? Carpe diem, seize the day. Mary understood not only that Jesus should be welcomed into their home, but she understood the value, the significance of that moment that they actually had Jesus in their house that day. That he was actually there in person, in the flesh, they could spend time with Jesus. And she considered that a great honor and a great privilege to be able to do that. Kind of the opposite of what a lot of church members in America do today. The church is privileged if I show up, right? That's kind of the attitude we take. They felt privileged that Jesus showed up for them. That Jesus was there with them. Whole different approach. You see, when you welcome Jesus into your home, you recognize how valuable it is to have him there, how valuable the time is with Jesus how precious it is to be able to spend time with Jesus. You see, some things, some time, some events are more valuable than others. That's just the truth. Uh, I I think about it this time of the year. uh, There's this big football game coming up. Some of you, if you don't follow sports, it's called the Super Bowl, right? Have you heard of the Super Bowl? If you don't follow sports, you may not know. It's a great big football game this weekend. It's it's the AFC-NFC playoff to see who goes to the Super Bowl. That's the final championship of the whole NFL. Uh, Whoever wins the Super Bowl is the champion that year. and and it's huge and everybody knows it's huge and therefore it has a huge tv audience so if you were to buy an ad on television during the super bowl you would have to understand that time slot is much more valuable than a lot of other time slots on television for advertising I read, I looked it up. This year, it looks like Super Bowl ads for 30 seconds during the Super Bowl cost $5.6 million plus an additional $200,000 to have them aired on the online stream of the game. Now, you could get a pretty good ad outside the Super Bowl prime times on television for around $3,000 normally. Why is this one so much more? It's because... They understand the value of having the kind of audience that's going to see that ad during that time. See, that time period takes on greater value. There are certain things that make certain times more precious and valuable to you, aren't there? If you live away from your grandkids and you're a grandparent, then the time you can be with your grandkids becomes that much more exciting and valuable to you. If they're always there, it's like, you. oh, no, it's not so you know, special anymore, right? But but if it's only once in a while, that becomes a lot more, oh, I value that time that we can be together, right? Well, when it comes to time with Jesus, Mary recognized, we don't know how much we'll ever get of this time. We don't know if we we'll ever get this time again, but we've got them here right now. So right now, what I'm going to focus on is the The wonderful opportunity I've been given to sit at the feet of Jesus and talk to Jesus and let him talk to me. I recognize how valuable that is for my life. She made that the priority while Jesus was there at their house. Even though the food needed to be prepared, even though the house, there may have been more stuff that needed to be done, setting the table or whatever. She recognized the value of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 5, verse 15, be careful then, very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What a reminder. Make the most of every opportunity while you have it. Don't always think, oh, I'll have another chance. There'll be another opportunity. Understand the value of the present one that you have. You all know, you've probably all experienced the, the death of someone that you love. And I've seen people say it all the time. If I could get just another 30 minutes with them, I'd just love to sit down with them again, right? But you had opportunities before that that you didn't take advantage of. And that's not to lay guilt on any of us. It's to serve as a reminder to value the opportunities that we have. The good things that we take for granted so many times. Those special moments. That come along in every life, and and they're different for everybody. But there's some special moments that are predictable, right? Uh, the birth of a baby, you're predicting that. You have, you know, it's coming, so you can make it a big celebration if you want to. You can you can make it a huge deal if you want to. You don't have to, but you can because it's predictable. Uh, it can be graduation for your kids from school, right? You know when that's coming up. Hopefully, you know, they, they're going to get to graduate. And so, you know, the date of the graduation and you can prepare in advance for that and make that a special event. It could be a wedding. You know, you know, you set the date for the wedding, you know when it's coming. So there's certain things that are special, that are predictable, and you can make sure you focus on those and make them the special event that you want them to be. But there are some things that, that you create to make them a special event, right? You plan for it a surprise party for someone. They don't know it's coming. They don't know how to prepare because they don't know what's happening. But you do, and, and you make it a special thing because you do all the work behind the scenes and get ready for it, and then you have that surprise celebration that happens. That's a cool thing to do sometimes. But here's what I want you to know. You need to be perceptive because some of those moments come unexpectedly. You didn't prepare for them. You didn't plan them. They're just surprise moments that if you're not paying attention will slip by and you'll miss the opportunity I find this especially as a parent or a grandparent it happens with kids all the time I can remember just a a simple one and and uh, I hope my granddaughter Claire will forgive me for sharing this but I can remember when she was really little we were at a ball game watching her brothers play ball her brother play ball and her cousin play ball and and I had M&M's that I was eating, and she asked if she could have some M&M's. And I said, sure. And then she just took the bag and kept eating the M&M's, right? She was just going to eat all the M&M's. And I said to her after a little while, "Uh, can I have an M&M? She said, they're mine. I said, "Uh, actually, I I bought those M&M's, right? and i could have just let it go you know and just said well that's okay but i saw oh, wait a minute this is a good teaching opportunity right she she needs to learn something about this i said well now claire I bought and paid for the M&Ms, and and it's true. I could go just buy some more if I wanted some more. But you understand, don't you, that I was just sharing those M&Ms with you. When you have something like that, it belongs to you. Maybe you've paid for it. Uh, It belongs to you, and you can choose what to do with that. You can choose to share it or not, and and God wants us to share. So, you know, if you want to just be pleasing to God, you might want to just say, well, here, Papa, these are yours anyway, right? Now, she didn't, but she could have said that, right? (laughs) No, she finally did. She she handed them back to me. And then I said, well, let's go get some more M&Ms. You know, I'm a sucker. So I went and bought another pack of M&Ms. But the deal is... You can miss those teaching opportunities if you're just too busy or too caught up in other things, right? You can miss the opportunities to establish values for your family, to, to make a good example with the opportunity that you're facing at the time if you're not perceptive. So so we need to understand, welcome Jesus into your life, but seize the day. Seize the opportunities that he gives you to represent him well in the world. They're all around us all the time. Maybe there's somebody at work that other people are gossiping about and you could step in there and take up for them or put a stop to the gossip right there are opportunities all the time for us to represent jesus well to show that he's really the boss of our lives and that's a priority for us to represent him well the third one is uh, after welcoming jesus in your home and sees today it's value relationships more than activity value relationships more than activity martha was busy wasn't she Was she busy with bad things? No. She was doing good things. I'm thankful for Martha's out there. I'm thankful there are people who care about the house being clean, who care about the food being prepared. I like to eat regularly. I, I think you probably do too. And, and so I, I'm thankful there are people that care about that, that want to make sure things are done and taken care of in a timely way. I like to have you know clean clothes to put on when I have to head out to go to work. that day. I like all of those things. And so it's important not only that I value that and do that, but that other people value that and do that. And I appreciate people who value that and do those things. Jesus is not saying, Martha, what you're doing is not good in the sense that you're not doing good things. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there's something better. And when you have to choose between something good and something that's better, what should you choose? Something that's better. If you have to choose between something that's good and something that's better, choose the better. I know it's, it's hard it's hard to discern that all the time, but sometimes it's not so hard to discern that. Jeff Walling, another pastor, came up, he made up a word for what Martha was doing that we could we could get this disease. He calls it marthoplexy. Marthoplexy, he says, is attempting to earn God's favor by doing stuff. We all suffer a little bit from martroplexy from time to time, right? We want God to be happy with us, so we get busy doing busy work, doing good stuff but sometimes we miss the opportunity to do something better. I think it's been over, I know over 20 years ago now, there was a book that came out called First Things First. It was by Stephen Covey and Roger and Rebecca Merrill. And in that book, he asked this question, are you living by the clock or by the compass? The clock or the compass? The clock would be you're controlled by schedules and calendars and appointments. The compass is... Are you controlled by your priorities, your values, and your principles? Is that how you're deciding what you're going to do today? Is it the clock or is it the compass? And if it's the compass, then what have you decided is going to be your compass? What are the priorities? Sue Ann, my wife, speaks a lot at women's retreats and different conferences and things like that. And one of the things she often talks about is priorities. And she says, and she she got me to do this when she was preparing this talk for the first time. She said, just list your top five priorities in your life. And I listed well, God first, right, and then my marriage, and then my family, and then my job, right, and, you know, all these things you know, in the order that I thought should be my priorities. She says, well, here's what most people do. They know how to make the list and put things in the right order. But now what you have to do is look at your time that you spend and the money that you spend and the investment that you make in those things and do those things line up with what you say your priorities are. See, there's a difference in saying they're your priorities and living like they're your priorities. And it was a great illustration, and it was such a good reminder to me. It's easy to say, I'm going to make my marriage my priority, but are you making it your priority? I say, I'm going to make God the top priority of my life, and I want that to be the priority for my family and my home and my kids. But we skip church all the time to go to other stuff. We miss church for things instead of missing things for church. What's the real priority there? Right? You see, we have to decide... If we say that's the priority, are we living like it's the priority? Are we demonstrating that it's the priority with how we spend our time and our money and our energy? What's really the priority there? And Jesus says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All those other things will get lined up like they need to when you get the first one right. Putting him and his kingdom first. In Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6, it says this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Let your uh, uh, season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. So make the most of every opportunity. Make sure what your priorities are and don't compromise when it comes to your priorities. Make sure you keep the right things in the right order to represent Christ well. So welcome Jesus into your home, seize the day, value relationships more than activity. Relationships, Martha understood that she wanted things to be right for Jesus, but what she didn't understand was spending time with Jesus, having that relationship with Jesus was more important than the stuff being all taken care of. And that's true for us. Make sure your relationship with Jesus is the highest priority you have. It doesn't mean you have to neglect the other things. It means you make that the top priority of your life which leads to the final one and that's this hold to your values even in the face of criticism hold to your values even in the face of criticism I I didn't ever have a sister but I've got two brothers and man we could sure argue with each other a lot Uh, we loved each other no doubt about it but we could sure argue with each other a lot growing up like a lot of siblings do Um, and we didn't just fight all the time it wasn't like that but man we could get in some arguments once in a while and usually it was about getting our way or getting something we wanted or them getting something that we wanted to get, you know, something like that. And, and when we would fight like that, sometimes it would give us the idea or give other people the idea maybe that, that our relationship wasn't really as high priority as it should be. At least our parents would say, try to teach us that, right? You should love your brother. You should, you know, they would, they would give us that. Well, here we've got these two sisters that are welcoming Jesus into their home, these siblings And Martha starts feeling like this is not fair, right? I mean, can't you just feel that when you say it? This is not fair. I'm doing everything. I'm having to do all the work. She's just sitting in there doing nothing. Don't you think she thought of it that way? That what Mary was doing was really nothing and she was doing everything. But what was really happening is Mary was choosing something better than what Martha was doing. Martha didn't see it that way at first, but that's what Mary was doing. But because Martha didn't see that, she was critical of Mary. She says to Jesus, now here's the thing. She could have addressed her sister directly, but she sees what she thinks is an opportunity. Jesus is in there with my sister. Surely Jesus would care about what's going on here. Surely he'll be upset like I am. Surely he's going to be be just as disappointed in Mary as I am. So she tries to get Jesus on her side and says, Jesus, tell my sister to help me with all this stuff that I got to get done here. Did Mary jump up and start helping? No. And did Jesus come to Martha's defense or Mary's defense? Mary's. It's not what Martha was expecting. She was expecting to have him on her side and helping her out with this problem that she saw. She was critical of her sister. She felt like her sister wasn't doing what she ought to do. But Mary didn't change her priorities in the face of the criticism. She still felt like being there with Jesus was the more important thing, or it's the more valuable thing. Now, the reason that gets really personal is this. You all see it happening, and so do I. We've been so blessed here in America to have Christian values that have really been a part of our history and our, our makeup as a nation. It doesn't mean we always lived up to it, but it was always there, right? It was always there. You could go back and look at the writings, look at the founding fathers, look at things they said and wrote and did. And they didn't get it all right in their actions, but they had some really good things that they founded this country on. And for years, we had an environment here in America where the church was very welcomed and honored and celebrated. And where Christians didn't have to feel like they were, they were being uh, in any way criticized for being Christians. In fact, at one time in our culture, it was seen as a good thing to be identified as a Christian in the public square. As a really good thing. But we all see that changing, don't we? Now, some of that is the fault of the church. Some of that is the fault of the, the secularism of the country. Uh, there's a whole lot of things contributing to it. But here's the deal. In the days ahead, I'm going to tell you this. Is, I'm not trying to be a prophet. I think anybody can see this. In the days ahead, it's going to be harder and harder to stand up for Jesus and represent him well without being criticized and sometimes even more than criticized for doing it. How strong are we going to be? Are we going to have such a love for Jesus and such a submission to his authority in our lives that we will hold to our values even in the face of the criticism that we're going to have. You see, it shouldn't surprise us. It surprises us in America because we haven't had it so much. But around the world, it's been that way in a lot of other places the whole time. But we haven't really had to deal with it very much here in America. But now it's coming here. And now we've got to make a decision. Do we value our relationship with Christ more than we value having everybody like us and not be critical of us in the process. What do we value the most? In 2 Timothy 3, beginning with verse 12, it says this. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, he's talking to Christians here. Talking to Timothy and those that Timothy's teaching. He says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he adds this reassurance. Listen to this. All Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped For every good work. If we claim to be Christ followers. And that he's the boss. For our lives. Then it's his teaching and scripture. That rules our lives. That becomes the priority. Even when it's questioned. Even when it's criticized. Even when it's ridiculed. Because we believe that all scripture is God breathed. That comes directly from the mouth of God. So when it comes to what marriage ought to be like, it comes to uh, whether or not lying or cheating should be okay, if it comes to whether or not uh, you should be uh, a parent that doesn't discipline their children or does discipline, all of those decisions that we have to make about all of life, God's word needs to become the authority for those who claim to follow Jesus. Even when it's being criticized and questioned by everybody else, that needs to become the authority. And so we need to accept that if we're going to be Christ followers, then our values need to be rooted in the Word of God because it's profitable for all the training and correcting we need and the teaching we need in righteousness. We need to be thoroughly equipped for all the good stuff God wants us to do. And the way we get equipped is by listening to and following and applying God's Word to our lives. And if we're going to represent Christ well as His people, as His church, then we have to be willing to do that in the face of criticism. And criticism is going to come, and it's going to build more, and it's going to get harder. And instead of sitting back on the sidelines and whining and complaining about it, he wants us to consistently live up to those values that he teaches in his word. And to do it because we love God, top priority. But what's the second commandment just as important as that? Love others. Love your neighbors. We hold to those values not to try to be mean to anybody, but because we love people enough to believe what God wants for them is the best thing for them, and what God wants for us is the best thing for us. And he reveals that in his word. And we're not going to waver from those values that are taught in the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've given us the revelation of the values you want us to have is found in the teaching of Scripture. Help us to to make the priority of our lives to represent you well, to have that relationship with you that we need to have in place. Otherwise, we can't represent you well, Father. Help us to understand maintaining that relationship, establishing it, maintaining it, growing deeper in it. That is the core of being able to live out the values that you want us to live out. Father, thank you that today, even today, we could start from where we are right now, getting our priorities back in order, even if we've had them out of place. We can start again today, putting you first above all others. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.